Shorter sleep, shorter life. This is a Brain Tools Tools episode, a 20 minute cutback version of our full podcast where you walk away with six practical brain tools you can use to hack your brain and level up today. If you want more of the neuroscience and research behind the tools, you can find the full version of this episode on Spotify, iTunes, and at the link below. But for now, it's time to get your six brain tools. Luckily for you guys, Kieran and I have been uh, researching hard every night, staying up late, sacrificing our sleep so that we can bring you ways to get better sleep. <laughs> so dramatic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you have some really interesting, some really interesting uh, counterintuitive practical ways of getting more sleep that many people don't know about. What was, what was the top of that list? Cheers up. Yeah, it's a super question, man. I think this is where we're going to get super practical. Like, if you want to get a better night's sleep, the first thing that I can offer, and it might seem really obvious, but again, it's a really important one, is regularity, right? And we spoke about this. And for those that are listening in, Sam and I did a little bit of a test for a week prior to today where we actually recorded the times that we actually went to sleep. Um, and when we, by the end of it, when we were, before we were about to do this, we compared notes. And it was so interesting for both Sam and I that are notoriously really bad at sleeping, even we're talking about it right now. Our regularity, when we went to sleep, there was differences of hours when we did it. I remember seeing my own, but one was at 10 p.m., one was at 1 p. 1 a.m. in the morning, one was at 11.30, and the same for Sam. And that whole idea of regularity is so important. Are you going to sleep at the same time? Because your body has what we speak about, like a circadian rhythm which is your body likes routine because routine sets your body free. And it's a really important thing to say, hey, what time are you going to bed right now every day? And humans are terrible statisticians. And we're going to be talking about behavioral economics as well with this. But if you ask this person what time do you go to bed, <laughs> when you, when you, like as you said, mate, when you ask people when you go to sleep, they'll yeah. give you the wrong answer. They'll be off. Like, no, and they'll think it's the same every night. Oh, I say 10. No, no, it's 10.30. It's 10.32. And my biggest piece of advice is for every single person here is pick the time you're going to go to bed and try and stick to that religiously. The way you put structures in place, if you are in a relationship with someone, it's always best that you both do it at the same time. So you've got that sort of social accountability as well. Um, that can be really, really useful. But it's yeah. also, and we'll get to this, having some form of a routine that happens when you're gonna to go to bed so that your mind and body start to adjust to it. A really simple tactic, keep it dark, right? Darkness is where you end up going to sleep. So the moment you turn off the lights, your body and brain start to think, oh, it's time to go to bed. So these simple triggers, happening at the same time lead to greater sleep regularity, greater quality and greater quantity of sleep. And that's my first one to give you, Sammy. Oh, I love that. It's such a good one. And it leads directly into the next one I have for you. And this is, uh, is going to be a, a little bit surprising for a lot of people, but uh, just take a journey with me for a second. Inside your brain is a whole bunch of clocks. And neuroscientists will always talk about this. There's different clocks that time things like your hormone secretions when you're meant to be waking up and they basically control like when we're hungry, when we go to sleep, when we're horny, all these different things are regulated by these clocks. You have these clocks, but not everyone's clocks are the same. And there's actually three different sleeper types and they're called chronotypes. Interesting. I didn't know this. Talk to me. People didn't know this, right? I didn't know this actually either. So there are three different chronotypes and we get this wrong all the time. And the three are the lark, the owl, and the hummingbird. Now, as can be expected, if you're an owl, you're a bit of a night creature. And funny enough, like you, and what this means is your, your internal clock 
and your entire genetic sequence is optimized to stay up late and get up late. So people who are an owl should be sleeping in late, but they should also be the ones who at you know 1 a.m. are wide awake because that's what their body was designed to do. And everyone has been an owl in their life. Everyone. Mm. Everyone's been an owl. When, when, might have, when might have everyone been an owl, Kieran? What do you reckon? Absolutely at school, surely. Has to be. Has to be. Teenagers. So uh, around 90% of teenagers are owls. Their body goes into that rhythm. Um, and that's why when we talk about it a little bit later, but school systems are really bad for teenagers because you end up being sleep deprived. So the owl's, owl's one of the chronotypes. The next one is the lark. And this is what I am personally. And what that means is your body is optimized to wake up early. So you're optimized to be up at 5, 6 a.m. and to be in bed by around 10 p.m. And these chronotypes are actually partially genetic, but also as a result of environmental factors. And it's super weird, right? Because growing up, the reason I'm a lark is I used to wake up at 6 a.m. every morning with my mom and watch aerobics. That was what we did. And I did that every year from three to about six, which basically wired into my genes, um, which is so, so, so strange. But also my dad's a lark. And if one of your parents is a lark, if one of your parents gets up early, there's 50% chance that you're gonna have that same chronotype, which is pretty crazy. So there are the two outliers. And then you've got hummingbirds, which is everyone else uh, in between, which is people who usually wake up around 7, 8 a.m. So there are these three sleep types, but most people try to sleep like they're hummingbirds. And if you're one of those people and you're an owl, like you are, if you're a lark, like I am, what it means is your body's not going to be sleeping properly because it wasn't meant to be asleep at that time. You're trying to go to bed at 10 and your body doesn't want to go to bed at 2 a.m. Like you physically won't get a proper rest. Yeah, it's so interesting. That's, yeah, the whole idea, as you said, it's like trying to put a, a you know, square peg into a round hole type of thing. And what, you, what I'm thinking right now is, again, that nine to five. Like, where did nine to five come from? Like, all this sort of stuff. Like, it's, it's a really interesting implication um, just for how we go about our everyday lives. Yeah, but also, like, you know, everyone has that one friend that sleeps in all the time and you joke about them. Uh, Ben's, uh, That's Ben's you. lazy. That's literally you. That's literally you. That's, it's, not, it's not me. It's definitely my little sister. But um, <laughs> so we, like, we, we like to uh, throw a bit of shade their way, but it could just be their genetics. Now, when it comes to implementation of this, now that you know there are three chronotypes, people who like to sleep in late, owls, and go to bed late, people who like to get up early and go to bed early, larks, and then people in between, the implementation is figuring out which one you are. And you probably already know this. Like you just said, you stay up late. You're probably going to be an hour. Your body's probably better adjusted for that. And it's, it's wired into your brain clock. I'm a lark. I should be going to bed early because I want to wake up early. My body does that. Once you figure out which one you are, or if you're in the middle, then you can try to like optimize your sleep routine for that. And what you'll find is that's when your body wants to go to sleep anyway. So you'll get better sleep. That's my next that's implementation. Figure out which type you are, and then optimize your sleep pattern. I love it. That's so good. And that feeds really nicely into to my next one, which is for each and every one of those chronotypes that you speak of, there's one thing that's common between all of them. And that's the whole idea of keeping it cool. Um, and the reason I bring up the whole idea of keeping it cool is that your brain actually drops by a few degrees when it's actually ready to, to go to sleep. And so the really, really thing, interesting part about it is, in Australian summers, my friend, as you know, it is so hard to get to bed. 
Like it's so difficult because you're tossing, you're turning, you're sweating. And that's because your brain's not obviously at the right temperature to allow that sleep to occur. So you want to keep it cool in order for your brain to obviously have that benefit and then obviously get to bed accordingly. Two really practical things that you can do. The first one, which is going to seem really counterintuitive because when I saw this, this is coming back way to my human physiology classes back in the day, but taking a hot bath. And they might be thinking, hey, Kieran, hold on. You said keep it cool, take a hot bath. That makes no what, sense. What do you say? But it actually, but, but it actually does because when you go into the bath, really, really hot, all, um, all the blood is rushing, obviously, uh, to the core. And what happens when you get out of the bath is your core temperature drops significantly because of the temperature change, which means that your core and of your body is obviously lower in temperature, which means when you rug up into your bed, your, body, your brain is at the right temperature to get that, to get that sleep which is really interesting when you think about the implications for that. Now, how I took this as, um, especially the past couple of nights when I've really struggled to get some sleep, is I actually get um, an ice pack. And what I do is I actually get an ice pack, wrap it around and put it near my neck. Um, and I sort of sleep on it when I'm actually doing my meditation. I'll speak about that in a little bit. Um, but what that has been is a, like huge for me getting more sleep. So two really practical things, have a, have a hot bath, have a hot shower before you go to bed if you can, and then obviously something uh, cold. And obviously in Singapore, we have air conditioners, so we you know, drop the temperature massively, but keeping it cool is a really, really big part of helping you, you get to sleep. Keep it cool. Be a cool customer. Cool customer, sleep best. That's <laughs> so crazy around hot showers because obviously even just talking about it now and I'm thinking about it, like the, the intuitive thought is, well, why would I have a hot shower before bed? That's going to heat me up. But like you said, it's that moment when you get out and everything goes a little bit cold and, you know, your body starts to shiver where your body temperature drops. Oh, wow, that's, that's a super cool one that I didn't know. Thank you for sharing. Well, I'll put back to you. What's your, what's your second one, mate? Thank you for sharing. Uh, everyone hates the alarm clock. But I want to talk about resetting your brain's alarm clock and setting your rhythm. So we talked about regularity before, but there are a couple of different ways to help you establish that regularity when you wake up. And so what, what happens when you wake up and you need to be in the mindset of telling your brain, hey, this is actually time to be awake because that's what establishes that, that alarm clock in the brain, that routine where every day the brain goes and gets these cues and thinks, yes, this is when I need to be up. And there are a couple of really easy ways you can do this. The first one is exposure to light. Think about this, right? Think about this. When we were meant to wake up, when we were in the savannah with a little loincloth running away from lions. Hunting gatherer of lions, man. <laughs> uh, well, when the sun came up, right? When the light comes For sure. up. For sure. And, and so there's actually, there's been quite a lot of studies around this, but exposure to sunlight, the moment you wake up and the period afterwards, tells your body and your brain, hey, we should be awake. And it actually helps you establish that body clock to be awake at that time. So what I'll do in the morning is when I get up, rather than lying around in bed or lazing around, my first thing to do is get up, get out of bed and get outside. Mm -hmm. and, that's, and that's how you establish that regularity by setting that brain clock. Makes, makes sense. So that's, that's the first way you can do it, which is I pretty cool, it. pretty easy. Yeah, so, so all these things, and I'm not, not tapping ourselves on the shoulder, but for people listening in, these, like I'm, I'm hearing Sam's ones for the first time. I'm going to be really over level with you with it. And these, they just seem so easy. Like it's not a hard thing to do. Go get light. Go get light. <laughs> like literally, go get light. Literally go get light. Um, and then the second implementation of this, which is just as easy, is just exercise in the morning. Exercise before 10 a.m. 
So what that actually does is it helps your, your entire uh, neural circuitry and your, your CNS to wake up, but also sends a, a signal to your brain that as soon as you wake up and start walking, hey, this is when we're meant to be awake. It's almost like you're telling the brain, hey, by the way, every day at 8 a.m. I go for a walk. So I need to be ready for that period. And the brain says, thanks, Kieran. I'm going to remember that and make sure to wake you up by that time. So they did a lot of research around this and they found that people who woke up in the morning and exercised before 7 a.m. or whatever your chronotype suggests actually slept better the next night because their brain was reset and set for that good sleep. It's, it's such a good point. And it feeds as we talking about with regularity. It's like, yes, it's about sleep regularity, but also waking up regularity is super, super important. And those two things that you've spoken about, um, you know, to set the day right makes so much, so much sense to me, mate. Those are, those are gems. Yeah. Like little things that, I, I mean, if I wake up and go outside and walk for 30 minutes, the next night I sleep like a baby. Mm. I sleep like a baby and I wake up the same time the next day. And then the days I don't do it, I notice I'm groggy. My body feels a bit, the word I'd use is out of whack. Mm. Where you just don't feel like that routine's there. So I, I'm I like, I can tell you personally, it's worked for me. It's worked for me. No, outside of research, it's worked for me. Your next one's super important though. And it's one I am terrible at. Um, what is it, Kiz? Yeah, well, it's, it's my last one to bring uh, what we've spoken about together is sort of creating that sort of power down routine. Uh, and what I mean by that is it's, it's a really interesting one that the way that our sleep or our ways our life has changed is really interesting, mate. Like think about it. We spend basically nine to five in a room that's dark generally and with like artificial light. Um, and then we come home <laughs> to more light through obviously being cyborgs with our, with our phones and our laptops and so on. And there's so many implications to that from an addiction standpoint, so much we'll obviously speak about, but making sure you're getting rid of, uh, when I say getting rid of, you're placing away um, all the technology that you normally have at least an hour, at least an hour and a half before bed is super, super important. Now, not to dive in too much into it, but there is something in your brain called melatonin, and that's basically just responsible for when you go to sleep uh, and obviously when you're awake. Now, when melatonin is obviously suppressed, you're awake. Things that suppress it, blue light. Caffeine even is example. So having coffee at nine, not a great thing. But if what do you mean by blue light? Blue light. So things are so different to like sort of the halogen, so like a lamp, nicer, right? But say your laptop screen, as an example, has more blue light in it, again, according to the electromagnetic spectrum. But then you've obviously got uh, your phone as well. And I know there's heaps of apps on your phone that now have like sort of nightshade and stuff. Even then, that is still not great. It's only just halving it if anything, in terms of your exposure to light. So it's not, I think people have taken, to be honest with you, mate, that people have taken this whole idea of, I put nightshade on, I can still look at my phone until I go to bed. It's not true. Like, that's just a way of saying it will impact you less, if, as opposed to removing it altogether. I did not know that. So I'm actually one of those people who chronically uses flux and claims it fixes everything. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting one, man. That's why I like that whole idea of creating a routine or a power down routine. So um, one of my mates, to share this with you, because I know you're in a relationship with you know, <laughs> myself, but you've got um, the whole idea here is um, that his name's Rob. And when he goes to bed and he, he's like in a startup as well, basically he's sort of typing, you know, going away. And his uh, partner will always ask, hey, what's the, what's the business case for this? What's the actual business case for you replying to that email right now? We're doing this right now. And it's such an interesting way of getting workaholics and people who are so infatuated by work. And that's a great thing, but off. Because then Rob always says to me, he's like, cool, I've got to think through it. Like, what's the return on investment, me doing it now? 
compared to when I wake up in the morning when I can reply to it. And there's normally not a very good business case or return on investment for you doing it eight hours later. And I found that such a, such a useful thing, which is especially for ourselves, and we love to work, obviously, because we enjoy it. But um, yeah, what's the business case? And I found that a really, really interesting one uh, as well. That is so epic. And I have never heard that before. <laughs> and that is going to be my heuristic, my rule moving forwards for anything stupid is what's the business case? Because like you said, most of the time, there isn't one. There isn't. Yeah, exactly. And the moment you engage your conscious part of your brain to actually sit back and think, hey, why, why am I doing this? You don't have a very good excuse. It's just the routine of, I see the notification, I see the email, I've got to reply, but you don't have to reply. Just lying to yourself. It can wait. It can <laughs> wait. And, I love that. And that's, sorry, mate. No, I was just going to say, it's a great way to break the pattern. You're spot on. And, and speaking of breaking the pattern, my sort of final implementation of this power down routine. And this is something that I've only recently introduced over the past few weeks, um, but it's meditation. So I use Headspace. Again, we're not affiliated with it. Hey, Headspace, you want to be affiliated with us? But um, <laughs> we'll show you out. But um, yeah, I now do meditation. What I found super interesting is that, again, I'm not going to go into the science because we've got that in another episode, but to me, just having space to not think or think about or focus on something else means that I disengage uh, from my thoughts and I'm just more observing them and being mindful of them. But I'm falling asleep. I do it for 20 minutes. I'm falling asleep after 10. I'm like literally falling asleep and I, have, I literally wake up with my phone on me with like headspace still there because I've just fallen asleep. And what I, what I push people to have is even if you just do some deep breathing and counting to 10, you know, counting the sheep or counting your breaths, something like that to break your thought process becomes a part of your power down routine. And as we said, routine sets you free so that you've got this like really clear stages so that you increase the probability of you getting a good night's rest. We're not saying by any means any of these things will make you sleep. It just simply increases the chances of it happening. And that's uh, my final sort of takeaway, so to speak. Love it. Super powerful. Super powerful. Have a power down routine. Uh, yeah, it's something I'm still working on. I know you've been killing it and it's been working really well for you. So I'm excited to try that out myself. Like you said, nothing's a silver bullet and all these things kind of accumulate. They add up, they add up and add up. And then suddenly you're getting the right amount of sleep. I just have one more for everyone before we wrap off today. And it is not actually about sleeping during the night. This is a little bit different. Oh, okay. I'm leaning, leaning in. You got me. Please, please lean in. Please. Cheryl Sandberg, lean in. Great book. Uh, <laughs> Very good. Just like that. My girlfriend, brilliant. Um, this one is actually respecting the nap zone. So human were actually optimized when, when we evolved to have this afternoon nap and they've done all this research around it. And you know that mid-afternoon lull, people call it you know, the, the food coma or the mid-afternoon sleepies or whatever else you want to call it, the nap zone. There is actually this, uh, this, this chronological period uh, mid-afternoon where our body wants us to sleep. And they theorize that this evolved as a way for us to digest meals, to restore a little bit through our incredibly active and busy days on the savannah. Um, but it's super important for us now because what happens is everyone tries to push through that nap zone in the mid-afternoon. You go and have a coffee or you, you move around, you get a water break. I'm telling you, don't fight it. Don't fight it. Have a nap because the nap actually sets you up for a better sleep that night. You're not sleep deprived. The nap helps with uh, a tiny restorative period that allows you to sleep better overnight. Uh, and intrinsically, I found this myself. I now nap pretty much every day at 2 p.m. 
I have a 20 minute nano nap. And by the time I go to bed, I am much, I fall asleep much quicker, much quicker. That, that is so interesting. Cause again, we, we talked about that idea of um, that sort of work culture, right? And this is not having a dig at anyone in particular, oh, yeah. but it's like, if you fall, if you fall asleep during work of the day, like it's a bad thing, right? So you shouldn't, this is, it's time to work. It's time to be on, but without realizing this whole idea of return on investment, right? Is if you invest maybe even 15, 20 minutes as that nap, it gives you greater productivity after that nap, as opposed to trying to fight through it um, all the way through. So I find that that is such an interesting implication. If you are a manager listening in on this and you do have a bit of autonomy in how you run your business, hello, um, that, you know, it respects the nap zone and where it's okay to have that, that, that nap because people have always said the food coma, they've always said the insulin spike and that I'm sure contributes, but it's not the whole story. And so I find that a very interesting thing, mate, that you do at 2 p.m. every day. I'm really going to note that one down. It is. It's, uh, you're right. It's not the whole story. And you just talked about management. And before we wrap this up, NASA did a study and they found a 26-minute nap in the afternoon boosted performance by 34% for its pilots. How about that for a business case return on investment? 34% increase in performance, 26 minutes. Show me a training program. That that we just talked about $100 billion being lost. Think about that small, yeah. tiny investment of time to get more out of your uh, employees and yeah. your colleagues. Like, super interesting implications. It, yeah. Nuts. Super interesting. That, that pretty much uh, wraps us up for this section. Before we go... I thought we could do a quick fire. You give me your three, I'll give you my three, just to remind the listeners of those three awesome implementations we came up with. What were your three again? Sleep regularity. Go to sleep yep. at the same time every single night, keeping it cool, cool. let your brain drop in terms of temp, yep. and then create your power down routine. Right back at you, mate. Love it, love it. Uh, mine was respect your chronotype, figure out when you're meant to sleep. If you're meant to sleep in, sleep in. Organize your schedule around it. Uh, set your body clock in the morning. Go get some light. Go get some exercise. Teach your body when it should be awake and teach your brain when it should be awake. My third and last one was respect the nap zone. A nano nap in the afternoon can boost your performance by 34%. So, so tell that to your manager next time they catch you sleeping on the job at 2 <laughs> Anarchy. Awesome. All right, we're, we're going to wrap up there for this week. Uh, we're going to finish every one of these with an 80-20 takeaway. So if you could do 20% of what we talked about today to get 80% of the results, what would it be? What would what be that 20%? Uh, for me, I would say structure shapes behavior, not the other way around. Every single thing that we've spoken about, you put it in place. And if you put one or two of these things in place, you're more likely to get to sleep, which is, I think, uh, hopefully the big takeaway for listeners here. How about you? I love it. Mine is... Uh, uh, sleep routines, night of and when you wake up. You set your sleep routines, you set yourself up for sleep success. That's it. There's nothing more. That's all we talked about. I love it. That's it. Awesome. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. This is episode one. We threw out a name earlier. I don't know if you remember it. The concept was the Brain Tools podcast. We're also looking at some other name, uh, the Brain Gym, the Brain Shop. We're going to put a couple up online and ask you guys what you think is the best name. Love to get some feedback. Uh, we might even have a, a bit of a funky giveaway of something interesting. If you come up with a cool name for us. Yeah. Um, looking forward. Next episode is on. Wellbeing. We're going to talk about it given COVID-19, uh, the neuroscience of wellbeing and how to, how to take care of yourself. Oh yeah. Spiciest topic. Super topical. 
So looking forward to that one. Stay tuned, subscribe, and we'll see you next week. Bye from me. See you later. Thank you so much for listening to this tools cut of our Brain Tools podcast, where you got just the six practical brain tools you can use to hack your brain and level up today. If you like this podcast, please don't forget to subscribe on any podcast channel you're on, iTunes, podcast, Spotify, and more. And if you really, really want to help us out, please leave us a review. It helps us so much to reach more people just like you. And finally, if you want to go a little bit deeper and dig into the research, see some free classes and guides, come and join our free community at braintools.mn.co. Can't wait to see you next week.